Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press. 1953, we're on chapter nine. <clears throat> Uncle Levi teaches me to swing a scythe. Um, Lord God, you do teach us so many things. You give us men and women around us to teach us, uh, those who do things differently than we do and who think differently, who have uh, unique skill sets. Uh, I pray you teach our kids, our grandkids, and those who listen to this to, to keep growing all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. As I unharnessed old Nell, I told myself that, after my promise to Mrs. Littlehale, it wouldn't be honest of me to leave Grandfather until he had all his hay in. But all the time I knew I was going to stay because I liked to work with Uncle Levi. The box he'd brought from the village was nowhere in sight when I hurried back to the carriage house. But he was down on his hands and knees, rolling the other package way back under the workbench. Screen wire for Millie, he said when he looked up and saw me. Flies in the house like to drive her crazy. Been yammering at me for going on five, six years, but with one thing and another, when I've been down, I never got around to making him. If a horse break doesn't take any longer than I think it will, maybe we can start on them tomorrow, I said. Mayhaps, mayhaps. But first, we got to see what we can do with Thomas. He ain't going to sit around here peaceable while we're fixing up that horse break. Thomas, he don't cotton the machinery. Wouldn't have that cussed old rattle trap of a mowing machine around here if he could hire hire hand mowers. Good scythe men is getting hard to find. He has quite a little trouble keeping any kind of man, doesn't he? I asked. For the first time, Uncle Levi looked at me as if he was peeved. Before he answered, he shoved the roll of screen wire to the farthest corner under the bench and climbed to his feet. By the time... He was up, he seemed more sad than mad. He reached one hand out and laid it on my shoulder, but instead of looking at me, he looked out across the fields. Thomas never learned to get along with other folks, he said at last. Tain't that he don't like him, Ralphie. He does. There ain't a man living with more love in him than what Thomas has. Worshiped father to the longest day he lived. No man ever loved the land more than Thomas loves this whole farm. Every stone and stump of it. You've seen him with critters. Tender as any woman, but he has a devilish hard time showing it to people. A cross grain in the timber some space. Treats worse them he likes best. Ain't you heard him jaw and row at Millie? She jaws and rows at him just as bad, I said. Being around Thomas, it gets to be a habit. There's times it's tarnation hard not to row back at him. I knew that, but I didn't want to say it, so I said, I don't think Millie likes anybody but you very well. Millie, he said, why do you calculate she's put up with Thomas all these years? Millie don't like strangers. Fetched up that way. Her mother lived like a hermit, way up on Rocky Dundee, to the other side of Lisbon Village. Was her father a hermit too, I asked? Don't nobody know. Her mother married a man off to Portland when Millie came, uh, when Millie come to work for Thomas. Uncle Levi jerked his hand down over, off my shoulder. Great day of judgment, he said. Here we stand gossiping like a pair of widow women. This ain't men in hand sweeps, is it? Mark them pieces of clear pine racked up beneath the ceiling. Them's for Millie's screen frames. Had them all ripped out and ready to put together four, five, six years now. He chuckled a few notes behind his mustache. Have to devil her a little about the flies come dinner time. Before we started on the hand sweeps, Uncle Levi fished a ring of keys out of his overalls 
pocket and unlock the drawers on the right-hand side of the workbench. The top two were filled with tools. There was a place made for each one, and they were all in their places. Every metal part was covered with a film of oil, and there wasn't a rust spot anywhere. <clears throat> the two lower drawers were divided into sections with sliding trays, and each held section held a different size of nut, bolt, screw, or washer. Have to keep them locked up, he told me, else Thomas would have them scattered from Dan to Beersheba. It's a wonder he can lay his hand on a wrench, drops them wherever he uses them, got four or five, half a dozen planted in every cussed field on the place. Now you can go to cutting shanks on these teeth, if you've a mind to, while I turn them down with a spoke shave. Set your calipers a dight bigger in the hole so they'll fit good and snug. I felt terrible when I had to say, I'm sorry, but I don't know what calipers are. Little fellow there in the top door, he told me, looks like a bow-legged cowboy. That's the one. Open and close the spraddle with that little burr nut on the side. That's the ticket. Set it just a dight bigger in the holes in the sweep rail. As soon as I saw it, I remembered that father used to have one like it in his tool chest. I could remember having seen him use it before I ever started school. <clears throat> He'd made an old sewing machine over into a wood lathe with a big flywheel and spindles. When he turned things on it, he used to measure them with the caliper. As I set the width of the hole, I could see that old I could see the old lathe of father's as plainly as if I'd been looking back ten days instead of ten years. The flywheel was big, almost like a grindstone, and he got it going fast with the foot treadles before he began to cut with the chisels. I can remember his making mother a whatnot with it. I'd stepped back from the hand sweep and was looking at grandfather's grindstone when Uncle Levi asked, What's biting you, Ralphie? What are you trying to figure out? Nothing, I said. I was just remembering about a wood lathe father once built out of an old sewing machine. He had a flywheel that looked like a grindstone. He'd get it turning real fast with the foot treadles, and then he'd turn out any shape he wanted with a chisel. Humph, Uncle Levi said, came over and gave the grindstone handle a twist. And then he shut one eye and watched it as it twirled. Humph, he said again. Appears to run pretty even. There's treadles for it someplace. Thomas never uses them. Never grinds nothing less than there's some poor devil to turn the crank. He looked along the wall over the top of his glasses. There they be. Supposing we set it to spinning and see how true the center runs. We put the treadles on, and I got the stone whirling as fast as I could make my feet go. True as gospel, Uncle Levi said as he squinted at it now. So long as you don't push it too hard and make a gallop, let me see now. About all we're going to need is a dead center and a spring to hold it close up again. I'll follow that, dead, that bolt end into a chuck hold while you hunt a spring. Get a good stout one, about six or eight inches long. <clears throat> Within an hour, we'd rigged a little makeshift lathe onto the grindstone. It worked fine for the hand sweep teeth, and Uncle Levi was careful to make every one of them just alike. After he calipered one of the shanks, he looked up at me and said, Charlie must have been a pretty good mechanic. He was, I said. Father can make anything he wanted to out of anything he had. Calculate you take after him, he said, and ran the chisel smoothly along the piece of kindling as he shaped the tooth. If he'd asked me right then to jump off the peak of the barn, I'd have been glad to do it for him. We had the hand sweeps fixed just as good as new when Millie called dinner, and it was a good dinner too, with a big piece of corned beef, boiled potatoes, cabbage, Johnny cake, and another apple pie. It was a hot day. The windows were open, and there were quite a few flies in the kitchen. We weren't any more than down at the table before Uncle Levi began swatting at them and shooing them off the corned beef. Great day!
day of judgment, he snapped, as if they were worrying him to death. Flies so tarnation thick around here, a man has to blow his victuals before the flies does. Millie, it's a wonder you wouldn't spread a little molasses on a piece of brown paper and catch these pesky things. How's a man going to enjoy his victuals when he dares to open his mouth for fear of getting a fly in it? And then he turned his head so he could wink at me without her seeing it. <coughs> molasses. <laughs> Millie snapped right back at him. How many hogs had a molasses you calculated it would take to catch all the devilish flies in Lisbon, Town Lisbon Township? Ain't nothing to stop him coming here, is there? It's your own cussed fault if you don't like flies. Where's them screens you've been promising me ever since I come to this infernal fly trap? Fly trap? Fly trap? Grandfather exploded. Who says it's a fly trap? This house ain't never had a screen on it, and for more than a hundred years, it's been good enough for all the other women folks that's lived in it. Screens, tarnal nuisances, won't have them. Won't have them, I tell you. If this house ain't good enough for you, just like it is, go somewhere else. Screens, humph. Father's rowing must have made the old red rooster curious. He flew up onto the windowsill behind Uncle Levi <coughs> and twisted his head this from side to side as he looked around the kitchen. I didn't want the wrangle about screens to go any further, so I said, we've got a visitor. Great day of judgment, Uncle Levi sang out as he turned toward the rooster. By hub, there's one smart critter on the place. First day I've been here, and already he knows there's something more than salt pork on the table. Ain't nothing the matter with salt pork, Grandfather snapped, but I noticed that he'd taken a good big slice of corned beef. Ain't nothing the matter with bread and water, Uncle Levi said, as he cut a little piece of corned beef and spread hot mustard on it. But his devilish poor belly stuffing for a man in a hayfield. There you be, bales above. That'll cur put a curl in your tail feathers. The old rooster leaned forward and grabbed the piece of corned beef off the end of Uncle Levi's fork. It was a small mouthful for a man, but a big one for a rooster. He had to make two tries before he could swallow it, and each time he ran his neck like a goose reaching through a fence. Then he cocked his head to one side, clicked his bill so that it almost sounded exactly the way Uncle Levi's lips had when he looked at the breakfast and shook his head like a dog with water in its ears. For a minute, he stood blinking his eyes as if he were trying to make up his mind whether the corned beef was worth the mustard. Then he turned toward the hens in the dooryard and called, tuck, 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 tuck. <coughs> Before Millie brought the pie, Uncle Levi had fed the rooster a dozen pieces or more of corned beef, and he put a good dollop of hot mustard on every one of them, but nobody mentioned screens again. We had a pretty good afternoon working in the orchard. Grandfather scolded me two or three times for being awkward or slow, but most of the time Uncle Levi kept me working with him. We took both size and the three hand scoops with us, but Grandfather didn't use the scoops very much. When we climbed over the stone wall from the pasture lane, he was as excited as a racehorse at the starting post. Bye, gory Ralphie, he called out. <coughs> I and you will show him what kind of logs make wide shingles. Come on, Levi, we will get her all in the windrow before supper time. He dropped his scythe in the long grass by the wall, grabbed one of the sweeps I had over my shoulder, it began flinging hay like a hen scratching for corn. Uncle Levi didn't say anything, but picked up Grandfather's scythe and kept walking slowly toward the nearest tree. I didn't know what to, I had to do, but I wanted to be with Uncle Levi, so I started to follow him. I'd only gone a few yards when Grandfather called, Ralphie, Ralphie, time flies, pitch in here alongside of me. I should have watched to see how Grandfather was handling the sweep, but I didn't. 
they looked to me like little horse rakes. And I had supposed that you dragged them the same way, so I set mine down at the edge of the field and began pulling it along. <coughs> what in time and tarnation are you trying to do now, Grandfather yelled at me. Play, Hoss? Get your backsides behind you and go at it man fashion. <coughs> it made me madder to have him scold me when Uncle Levi was there than when we were alone. My whole head felt as if it were catching a fire, and I just had just snapped out, I'm not, when Uncle Levi called, Thomas, the grass under these trees is still green there in your gourd. Tomorrow is a Sabbath, and if it ain't got out somewhere the sun can get at it, it'll sour on the ground before Monday. Tain't no wonder, tain't no wonder, Grandfather called back as he dropped his sweep and almost ran toward the trees. Ralphie mulled into that one, and he wobbed the grass all up into long hog wallows. Never seen a boy so helpless with a snath and scythe. Unless I dragged it, I was about as helpless with a hand sweep as with a scythe. But while Grandfather and Uncle Levi stood talking under the apple trees, I did the best I could. After a few minutes, they walked on to another tree or two. Then Grandfather took his scythe and hurried off to some tree that <coughs> we hadn't mowed under at the far side of the orchard. He hadn't been gone two minutes before Uncle Levi called, Ralphie. His voice was just loud enough to reach me. I put my sweep on my shoulder and went over where he was. He wasn't hurrying at all. He sort of rolled from side to side as he stepped forward, and his arms and the big rake moved back and forth in perfect rhythm. After a little while, he noticed me watching him and said, Slow and steady goes far in a day, Ralphie. Thomas, he's a fast starter, but he peters out tolerable quick. With one of these cussed things, it's a waste of time to hurry. Take care, Thomas. Don't set you too fast a pace, Ralphie. You ain't had all your growth yet. <coughs> It was two, three or four, I was three or four inches taller than Uncle Levi, and I didn't like being called Ralphie. I couldn't come right out and say so, but I thought that gave me a pretty good chance to drop a little hint. So I said, I'm 14 and a half now, but I guess Grandfather thinks I'm still a little boy. He always calls me Ralphie. Then I picked up my hand sweep and swung, swung just as near as I could, the way Uncle Levi was doing. He stopped breaking as soon as I had started and stood, leaning on the handle of his sweep and watching me. Hmm, hmm. You're lucky, he grumbled. Storekeeper told father he'd give me a suit of clothes when I growed up if they'd name me Levi. I'd been wearing the I'd been wearing the cussed name for sixty four years, but I never did get the suit of clothes. A couple of minutes later he said, I'm Getting the hang of that sweep pretty good, ain't you, Ralph? It's slow and easy, does it? <coughs> well, it's still kind of awkward, I said, but I guess I can get it. It's the sight that I can't learn to use. Don't know about that, Uncle Levi told me. Appears <clears throat> to me <clears throat> you can learn most anything you had a mind to. That is, if you didn't rear into it too hard. Supposing you let me see you try it. My first swing, the blade the blade tangled in the grass and jerked to a stop. I could do it better with a left-handed scythe, I said. I've always been left-handed. <clears throat> Got to learn either way, Uncle Levi told me. Might just as well learn right-handed in the first place. It was a devilish lot of more right-handed sites in the world than there is left-handed ones. Devilish a lot more right-handed people, too. And never a bad idea to learn to do things the way most other folks do it, doesn't. Leave me have hold of that custard thing for a minute. I stood back and watched Uncle Levi mowed while Uncle Levi mowed a strip 10 or 12 feet long. <clears throat> Take note that you don't hold the snap so as the scythe is straight out from you like the row of teeth on a hand sweep. Keep the point of the blade close into you all the while. Leave your wrist go a trifle loose, and it won't hiss up so much at the ends of the swing. 
And I ain't good at this myself, but sometimes you watch Tom, sometimes you watch Thomas when he ain't out to set you a pace. Father bent him a little snath and learned him to mow afore he was belly high to a bull. Ain't many men can best Thomas at anything Father learned him to do. Now you try your hand at it, Isabel. <coughs> Uncle Levi never told me I was awkward, and he never scolded. He just followed along beside me for 10 or 15 minutes and showed me where I was making mistakes. Don't reach too far neither way. Get your tail end around towards the sun so as you can keep your, an eye on the shadow and watch that head your head don't swing. Don't try to hold your behind still. Let it travel as much as it's aligned to. Turn that right hand down so as you only see the knuckles as it goes past in front of you. That holds the point down and keeps the stubble even. Roll your right thumb up when you want to hiss the blade over a rock. You're trying to ease up a little and fetch it across with a limber wrist. <clears throat> there, that's more like it. Take note how the scythe point is hugging along the ground. By a hub, you got the trick of it now, Ralph. I still couldn't mow anything like the way Grandfather and Uncle Levi could, but the scythe didn't get stuck anymore, and I wasn't hitting the stones. Cut them hogs in the horns, barn cellar, an armful of clover every night, and don't be long before you can swing a scythe as good as any man, Uncle Levi, Levi told me. We better get back to Reiki now. First thing we know, we'll have Thomas over here raising ruction. Like is not the way he started off. He's mowed under a half a dozen trees by now. <clears throat> Grandfather had finished mowing under his fourth tree when we went back to our rakes, but he was nowhere in sight. His hand sweep was still in the corner of the orchard where he dropped it. And <clears throat> his scythe was laid up on the stone wall by the gateway. Never seen a man just like Thomas, Uncle Levi said, as he picked up his sweep, works it in fits and starts, rares into it like a gale wind for half, maybe three quarters of an hour. Then he's off to tend the bees or look at some other, or look what's come in the mailbox. He'll be here and gone half a dozen times before the day's over. Uncle Levi was just right about Grandfather. We never saw him leave, but two or three times we saw him coming back across the field from the barn. He'd pick up a scythe, mow under three or four more trees, and then disappear. Twice he stopped by a tree where we were working, and both times he told me we'd never get finished till snow flew if I didn't stop my dawdling. Each time, as soon as Grandfather left us, Uncle Levi told me that slow and steady went far in a day. And that by the time the sun dipped down behind the piney, pine woods on the ridge, we'd finished raking under the last tree in the orchard. At supper time, it was easy to see that Grandfather was pretty well tired out. We had red flannel hash, potatoes, beets, carrots, and cabbage chopped up with the corned beef that was left from dinner and fried till it was dark reddish brown on both sides. Grandfather took just a little dab on his plate, and he only ate a mouthful or two until Uncle Levi brought his bottle, and Millie made him a hot toddy. <clears throat> he grumbled about not needing it, the same as he had the night before, but he took it, and he ate a pretty good supper afterwards. When I came in from milking, Grandfather had his feet on the oven, and Uncle Levi was reading the Lewiston pa Sunday paper. He had his glasses balanced on the end of his nose <clears throat> and was leaning back in his rocker with both feet up on the hot water tank of the stove. Grandfather was nodding half asleep when I took the sports page of the paper and sat down in the kitchen table to read it. Uncle Levi kept interrupting every few minutes. At first, it was something about somebody's funeral or a baby being born or a horse running away. Then, as he turned the pages over, it was ads for things people wanted to sell. A live goose feather bed, a chest of drawers, or a two-row cultivator. After each of the first few items, Grandfather would say, Too bad, ain't it? Or, Who be they? Never heard tell of them. 
But after a while, he's had to eat a bob. Every now and then, he'd snore a few notes. I'd stopped hearing this stuff myself until suddenly Uncle Levi asked in a good, loud voice, What kind of bees is Black Belts, Thomas? <clears throat> Grandfather's head came up with a snap. Black Belts? Black Belts? He said, best tarnal bee there is. What about him? Oh, nothing, Uncle Levi told him as he turned the page. Just seen an ad here where somebody wants to trade him off trade off a couple of colonies of them for a heifer calf. Don't calculate they could amount to much if he'd trade them for a heifer calf. Where does he live at? Leave me see that paper, Grandfather snapped and pulled his feet out of the oven. Way off the other side of Lewis, and Uncle Levi told him, right on looking at the paper. Tain't worth looking at, Thomas. Take a man three, four hours to drive over there, and like as not, he'd find the bees was traded off before he got there. Pass me that paper. Pass me that paper, Levi. Where in time and tarnation did I leave my spectacles? I got Grandfather's glasses from the mantel. As I gave them to him, Uncle Levi passed over the paper. One of his eyelids flickered just a trifle as he looked past my face. Grandfather buried his head in the outstretched paper for a minute or two. <coughs> then glanced up at the clock and said, Gory sakes alive, time flies. Come on, Levi, Levi it's time all honest folks was abed. And we can see that Uncle Levi has a plan for getting Thomas off the, uh, the lot. I love you.